I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. From PRI Public Radio International, it's... Recorded in front of a live audience in the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire with Congressman Earl Blumenauer, Chef Naomi Pomeroy, Entertainer Darcel, Comedian Mohanan El Shiki, Music from Live Lava, and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Livewire, he's the flavor of the month for about six more days, Luke! Wow. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, everybody here at the Alberta Rose Theater. We have a great show for you. Our theme this week is local flavor. We have been traveling. We have been traveling so much as a show the last few months that we wanted to take this week to just really celebrate the awesomeness that is Portland, Oregon. Uh, there's also about 50% of the country right now that we are terrified to visit. <laughs> this seemed like a good week to really circle the Priuses and just kind of hunker down in the Rose City. Um, so here we are. A lot of strong reactions to the election. Some people are very happy about it. Some people are very sad. Some people are just fighting with those weird egg people on Twitter 24 hours a day. That's how they're processing their feelings. The way that I am dealing with the election is what I've been telling people is my Linda Hamilton from Terminator 2 approach. I don't know if you guys remember that movie, but she's in like a mental hospital because they think she's crazy, but she knows just how much the S is actually about to hit the fan. And she's doing like chin-ups and push-ups. She's just getting ripped. She's getting ready. That is the approach that I have been taking. I went to the dentist a couple of days ago. First time in years. My theory is when the apocalypse comes, the first thing to go is good dental care. Got that handled. Yesterday, I went to the doctor. First time in, I don't know, maybe five years I've been to the doctor. I had 
a lot of updating to do there. I got a flu shot in one arm. I got a whooping cough shot in the other arm. And they removed an irregular mole from my back. Easy, ladies. I'm taken. Um, I feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm really trying to get it together to go into the next four years. I also, this week, did a juice cleanse. There is a place by my house called the Electric Beat Juice Company, because of course that's what they named the juice bar. And they have this thing where you can buy uh, like a three-day cleanse and you go in every morning, they make you that day's juice. And you take it and you consume it, you come back the next day. So I got Monday's juice. And I took it home, and it was good, actually. I really enjoyed most of it. There was one of the juice cups that I was not that into. There was a flavor that I couldn't really place. And the next morning I went, and I was talking to the woman who worked there, and I said, yeah, there's this one. I think it was called Green Bling, and it had a flavor in it that I didn't love. And she said, oh, you're probably tasting the green river algae from the Klamath River that we put in there. <laughs> she said, it's an acquired taste. Probably the understatement of the year, um, and maybe more local flavor than I really needed in my life <laughs> at that moment. But I'm happy to tell you, I did the cleanse. I finished. I did all three days. I stuck with it. I did put some tequila in the juice one of the nights, <laughs> which is not allowed, I think, by the Electric Beat Juice Company, technically, but... I was at this point, and I think other people have been there recently, where my choice was put tequila into this juice or move to a remote mountain cabin and totally disconnect from society for the next four years. So I chose the tequila. Um, I know that a lot of us have that feeling right now, right? Like we want to just build a hypersleep pod and just tell it to wake us up in four years. But I am here to tell you that we cannot do that, people, because we need each other, okay? I'm, I'm very serious. Like, everybody in this room, everybody hearing me on the radio right now, we are in this together, okay? Do you think I wanted to drink green algae from the Klamath River? Hell no. But I know that I got to be my strongest, bravest Luke to stand up for the things that I believe in. Okay, we all need to tap in to our inner Linda Hamilton. That was what the juice cleanse taught me. Actually, it also taught me that if you were going to consume the equivalent of about 20 beats a day, you need to leave yourself a note <laughs> in the bathroom. <laughs> Trust me on this. If you think the results of the election were terrifying, <laughs> you have not seen anything, okay? All right, let's get our first guest out here. Talk about local flavor. 
One of our next guest's first culinary projects was an underground supper club she ran out of her house right here in Portland. From those tasty but sketchy beginnings, Naomi Pomeroy has gone on to do big stuff, like appearing on Top Chef Masters, winning a James Beard Award, and now dropping her new gorgeous cookbook called Taste and Technique. Please welcome Naomi Pomeroy to Livewire. Naomi, welcome to Livewire. Thanks. When did you realize that you actually had a knack for cooking? <laughs> um, I was laughing because the first recipe I ever wrote was um, is still preserved. My mom has a little box, um, and the first recipe I ever wrote, I was could barely even write, and I must have been four or five years old, no more. Um, and it it, it said, uh, take a handful of almonds, chew it up. Spit them out, mix them in a bowl with some powdered sugar, and cook them on the wood stove with some sprinkles. So I, I would cook eat that like right that now. Anymore. I've been on a juice cleanse. <laughs> so then, okay, so as even a little kid, when you could like barely even write words, you were already thinking about foods and how they came together and what the combination would sort of be like? Yeah, I don't know. It was just something that I loved to do from when I was tiny. I, I love eating, and I love um, taking care of people, and it's just sort of the, the, the confluence of those two things that had me become a chef, I think. You seem to have a real affection, though, for kind of keeping it extremely intimate and very personal. Your restaurant, Beast, which has become legendary here in Portland, is also a very small space, yes. small staff. I, I understand for the first couple of years you were just cooking on two induction burners? Yeah, in the beginning um, we didn't have uh, any flame in the restaurant because we didn't have a hood, so we, we couldn't be that illegal and public. <laughs> so, so we actually just had two electric induction burners and one convection oven, and we actually got our first James Beard nomination when we didn't even have flame in the restaurant. So what? it kind of, yeah, so I mean, you can do a lot with... Uh, Um, so funny enough, we used to sear all of our protein next door so that, you know, so I would run over right before dinner started and I would, um, you know, say we were searing duck breast or something like that and I'd run over and I'd sear all these duck breasts and it would make lots of smoke and oil and things like that that we weren't allowed to have in the restaurant because we didn't have a way to vent them out. And then I'd run back across the street and fire them in the oven. So there was a lot of creativity involved and I think that kind of having years of having a catering company um, and just kind of living life by the seat of my pants really helped out and it actually is one of the reasons why in general I just like to not always follow the rules and just kind of go for it because I don't know it's more fun that way. That's amazing. You had basically the same cooking setup at your restaurant that I had in my college dorm. Yeah. And I got zero James Beard Awards. We have Naomi Pomeroy here. Her new book is Taste and Technique. This is Live Wire Radio coming to you from Portland, Oregon. We will be right back. Hey, it's Luke reminding you that Live Wire is supported by Ergo Depot. Did you know that I use a Jarvis desk from Ergo Depot when I am recording 
Livewire. That's right, I'm up there on stage, and I've got a desk from Ergo Depot, and I set it at all kinds of different heights, depending on what's going on. Maybe we've got a guest coming out, and we're going to have some food together, and so I move the desk down to a certain height. Maybe I'm just standing up there reading all kinds of interesting information, in which case I may have it at a different height. The cool thing about the Jarvis is that it remembers the different heights that you like. You've got one touch settings, so you can just tell it, hey, go to my having food with a radio guest height. It'll go right there. Go to my standing up and reading things height. It'll go right to that height as well. Ergo Depot is founded on the principle that keeping in motion is good for our bodies, which it really is. And they make all kinds of amazing things that are going to help you continue to do that, even when you're at work, whether it's in the office or even in your home office. Find out more by checking out their store in Portland, or if you're somewhere else, go to their website. It's so convenient and easy. It's ergodepot.com. Welcome back to Live Wire Radio from PRI. We're coming to you from the Alberta Rose Theater here in Portland. Our theme this week is local flavor, and we have uh, one of the most well-known people when it comes to the flavors of Portland, James Beard Award winner Naomi Pomeroy. Her new book is Taste and Technique. Um, so everything is coming up Pomeroy. That being said, so true. I know the life of being a chef is actually a major grind. I know yeah, this because I'm friends major. with some chefs. Yeah. Can you take me through kind of an average day of being a chef in a restaurant in Portland? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think that we all do it really differently. And at this point in my career, it's a little different than it was a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, I would wake up at 7 a.m., grab a coffee, get to the farmer's market, do some shopping, um, you know, hug some ladies and kiss some babies. And, you know, then you haul all that produce back and oftentimes in the pouring rain um, back to the restaurant and you have people that have already been there. They arrived at 9. So you get back at, with your produce at maybe 10 o'clock in the morning and you start putting stuff away and breaking it down, um, intaking the proteins for the day and starting to break that stuff down. I mean, it's just a lot of organization. And then for us, the fire really kind of comes at around three o'clock when we realize we only have a couple hours left to prep for service. Um, service starts at six, but we have a full lineup where we taste through the entire menu at five o'clock. So we have to get ready for that and do the wine pairings. And, you know, there's just, it's a really long day. And then it ends at like midnight when we're done and we say goodbye to the last customer and kind of clean up and scrub down the stove and all that. And I kind of cut out the whole part about cooking and, you know, <laughs> saying hi to everybody and signing menus and taking selfies with people. So I was reading a, uh, a diary that you kept, but it was a time when you were in New York for some kind of big food award and you were eating your way through New York City. Yes. And I was absolutely amazed at how many different things, as a chef, really, you sort of have to eat on a given day. How yeah. do you actually do that? Do you mean amazed or horrified? Is, a, is, is hormazed a word? Hormazed. Um, yeah, well, I remember when they asked me to do that, I felt a lot of pressure, you know, to really kind of up my game and, 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 and do an awesome show for them, basically. So they wanted to catalog what a chef eats over like a long weekend or something like that. I can't remember how long the diet lasted, and you'd have to remind me of the 57 places that I went or whatever. But I, At one point, <laughs> you were trying to get a corn dog late at night. 
That's not surprising. I love corn dogs. I was just thinking, though, because as a chef, you have a lot of friends that have restaurants. Every restaurant you go in, as you're describing in this diary, they send you every single item. I know this is a major first world problem. It's such a major first world problem, but it is something that I've tried to sort of start training people out of. Um, and, I, and I don't want to sound, uh, you know, terrible for saying this, but sometimes I just ask ahead of time. Like if I know I'm going into a place um, that I know the chef, I could say like, you know, I've already, I ate, a pr I pre-gamed a little bit. I'm not super hungry. Don't send me everything on the menu, you know? Because if they do, you feel obligated to take at least one bite of everything, right? Well, I think it has to be a little bit more than that because it's a little suspect if you take one bite of something and then don't eat anything else like after that. So it's almost like you have to take a few bites because you would be saying in a way uh, by leaving, you know, 95% of it that you didn't like it. So it's, it's even, the obligation is even higher than that. That sounds like a real dark time for you, Naomi. Yes. Naomi Pomeroy, ladies and gentlemen, her new book is Taste and Technique. All right, Naomi, our theme this hour is local flavor. Um, and the whole idea, of course, of sourcing things locally is really, really big right now. And uh, we here at the Livewire staff, we like to keep hip with what's going on, which is why we locally source all of our meals from the 7-Eleven that is just down Alberta from here. Uh, you've heard of the slow food movement. We kind of consider this the low food movement. But we know that we're not doing it exactly right. So we got some of those items together that we regularly eat from the 7-Eleven down the street, and we asked you to put them together backstage. We gave you a toaster oven and a variety of ingredients. You picked the Hostess Donuts, a banana, a low-fat berry yogurt, some cheese that was kind of in a weird sealed plastic thing with pepperoni. Totally. And then some Flamin' Hot Cheetos. I mean, what is a convenience store meal without a Flaming Hot Cheeto? So... We've, we've, we've got the food out here on the stage now. This is what James Beard Award winner Naomi Pomeroy can make with those ingredients 15 minutes before the show starts backstage. All right, so take me through so, it. Um, so the bottom is the uh, half a hostess donut um, working as your vehicle there for the um, mashed up, slightly overripe banana. Um, Beggars can't be choosers. I know. Well, what was I going to do? It was the only fresh food available. So I wanted to make sure you had some nutritional value here. Um, I also went with the yogurt. I thought that it was vanilla and found out late in the game that it was berry, but decided to use it anyway. A poor craftsman always blames their tools. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> exactly. So I'm not going to succumb to that uh -huh. excuse. So you have yogurt. We're working with some major food groups here. You have uh, a little bit of carbohydrate here on the bottom, probably a lot, actually. From the donut. Um, and, the, and some powdered sugar. And then you have the mashed up banana, which is your fresh fruit. Um, you have some uh, dairy, yogurt, calcium, very important for your bones. Um, and then Flaming Hot Cheetos, which everybody knows is a major food group. And then uh, topped off with a little cheese that I was surprised it didn't melt that much. I'm not sure what's in that cheese, but yeah, it's not I don't very think melty. You've noticed it wasn't spelled C-H-E-E-S-E. -E -E. <laughs> right. That's a bad... Legally, <laughs> totally. they can't call it cheese. That's for sure. Um, I did eat one of these earlier, so I know you're not going to die from it. 
I would suggest sort of having one and then maybe refreshing your palate with a Flaming Hot Cheeto. Okay. The classic Flaming Hot Cheeto as the palate cleanser. Yes. Now, this is going to sound like I'm saying this for effect. This is the first solid food that I've eaten in four days. What? Oh, my God, you went on that cleanse. I did not think about this whole thing very clearly, maybe because I was in caloric deficit. Wow. One of these might be enough to put me into some kind of uh, cardiac arrest. All right, here we go. Uh, you were such a sport, by the way, for doing this, because we just gave you a rogues gallery of, <laughs> rest of uh, ingredients, and yet this actually looks pretty good. Okay, well, I'm going to take go. a bite here. Oh, God. I'm covering my eyes. That is not good. I mean... <laughs> Like, now, let's okay, chase it with a hot Cheeto. He spit it out. He spit it out. Let me try another one because You're, while it's not great, I am incredibly hungry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it grows on you. Okay, great. Actually, the, you, do you the, swallow it? The donut oh, and yeah. the banana yeah. is a nice little uh, flavor yeah. there. I'm keeping this on the stage for the rest of the show. Naomi Pomeroy, part of the local flavor here in Portland. Her new book is Taste and Technique. This week's episode is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, now offering holiday meals already cooked and prepared. Because why squabble with family over how to smoke a turkey? Spend that same amount of time around the dinner table with family eating a turkey. It's a turkey win-win. More info at WholeFoodsMarket.com. All right, this is Livewire Radio. If you want to get the local flavor of Portland, how about asking someone who's been here for the last 86 years? That is how old our next guest is, which is a pretty amazing thing in and of itself. But Walter Cole is not your average 86-year-old. Back in 1967, Walter was a married Korean war vet with two kids. And then something happened. He put on a woman's dress for the first time, and everything changed. An alter ego, Darcel, emerged, and a Portland legend was born. Please welcome the oldest female impersonator in America, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, Darcel to Livewire. Thank you very much. Hello, Darcel. Welcome to Livewire. This is fun. I have been so fascinated this week reading about your life here in Portland, Oregon. You start out as a, as a seemingly typical uh, sort of American male here in Portland. You had a yes. family. You had kids. You were a, a, a military veteran. I was a worker with Fred Meyer. I had a crew cut and big horn room glasses. And I bought a coffee house in Portland, Oregon. And there, there I went, down the tube. <laughs> That's a trap many Portlanders have fallen into. Yeah. Buying a coffee shop. Yeah. Did, at the time when you were living a more, what we'd say is a conventional life, I guess, did you feel like there was something else going on inside of you that was not getting to come out? Did I spend my entire life wanting to, wanting to put on women's clothes? Yes. No. It's a costume. And in order for me, for me to be a female impersonator, this is the costume I must wear. I don't wear dresses that I would buy off of a rack. I make all of my own wardrobe. I don't make it, I, and I don't have a brassiere, and I don't have ladies' underwear on. 
So it's a totally different thing than wanting to be a woman or, right. or uh, dressing this way to pass. This was just another costume when we decided to do uh, some entertainment at my bar on 3rd Avenue. We were a lesbian bar when we first opened because none of my gay friends would walk across Burnside because we were not entertainment district then. We were Skid Row. And so we were afraid to come over. But so you started... Lesbians weren't. They got there. <laughs> Back in the, the day when you, when you started doing female impersonation, yeah. what did your family think of it at the time? You were married, you had kids. How did that I, go over? I had, I had uh, stepped away from my family, uh, unfortunately. I knew... Uh, my son is with me tonight. He's up, my bar manager, and he brought me here. And I, I knew that there was something missing, and I was lying and cheating my lovely wife. And it was time to say who I am and what I know I am that's gay. And um, it hurt. It hurt them. It hurt me. But, and I'm sorry for all the hurt, but I had to do it for myself. I mean, this was uh, when you were running your bar in the, like, 70s, 60s, 60s, 60s and, and 70s. 67. And you had, you know, uh, female impersonators there. You had drag shows and the like. That, was that safe to even have that? We never walked out our door. We, and so, no, we did not walk the street. We didn't go anywhere that we were, uh, that we dressed. We dressed there. We put our jeans back on and left. Because it, it would have been dangerous for you. I think so. I, I didn't want to take a chance. And God help us, I think that's happening again. Well, this is, I thought you would be a really interesting person to talk to about the current political climate because you've watched a lot of political climates in your 86 years. Yeah. Um, based on everything you've experienced, how do you feel about how things are going these days? There's no way to put it into words. Not at all. Why and how can this be happening? Why? I, I thought mean, maybe this was just because I've only seen 40 years of life, but hearing it from somebody who's been here for almost nine decades. I remember when Roosevelt died. He was a savior of our family with his work during the Depression. My family wept. People cared about who was in office. This is ridiculous things that are happening now, but it doesn't matter who you voted for now because Oregon only had three electoral votes. And so what? Three electric votes. You know, we have, a, we have a U.S. congressman on the show. Oh, and, and I, I'll tell you. Is he here? Of the two of you, I was expecting him to talk about the Electoral College more than the female impersonator. <laughs> I live here, too. Yes, you do. This is Darcel, everyone. The legendary Darcel. Thank you so much. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. Our theme this week is local flavor. We're highlighting some of the best things about Portland. And fine, we'll admit, our musical guests this hour aren't actually local to Portland. But I can tell you from personal experience that their music has been a godsend to me of late. When I want to hear something beautiful and not think about, you know, the end of the world thing. <laughs> My bubba is two women 
my Lars Doder from Sweden, and Gubjorg Thomas Doder of Iceland, who mercifully goes by Bubba. Hence the name, My Bubba. Their latest album, Big Bad Good, is available in iTunes. Please welcome My Bubba to Livewire. That's my Bubba, right here on Livewire. This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, an airline with over 800 daily departures to over 100 cities, even to tropical un-Alaskan lands like Costa Rica and Hawaii. And with a name like Alaska, you know their air conditioning will be on point. 
Alaska Airlines, fly nice. This is Livewire Radio. Our theme this week is local flavor, and our next guest is a Portland comedian who grew up in that hotbed of stand-up comedy hilarity, Benghazi, Libya. <laughs> Mohanad Elsheki actually started doing comedy while a college student as a way to raise awareness about what Muslim Americans face while living in the U.S. It may have started as a public service, but it turns out Mohanad is also super funny, and we are so excited to have him with us today. Please welcome Mohanad Elsheki to Livewire. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. So I, uh, I moved to the U.S. two years ago from Benghazi, Libya. What a great time to move to the U.S. <laughs> wow. You guys are killing it with democracy here. <laughs> hey, uh, how does it feel to have an Arab guy mocking your democracy? Does it hit deep? <laughs> yeah? I know, I know. I really love Portland, I think it's a great city. Uh, one thing I really admire about this city is how diverse this place is. Wow. If you don't believe me, just go to downtown Portland. You can see rich white people, poor white people, hipster white people, homeless white people, vegan white people, ginger white people and even Canadians sometimes. <laughs> so I don't know what more you need here. The other day, uh, my friend asked me, and he was like, hey, Mohanad, you're an Arab. I want to ask you a question about Arabs. And because I represent all of them, I was like, yeah, sure, hit me up. <laughs> he was like, why do you guys look so mad all the time? I was like, we're not mad. We just feel like we are underrepresented here because every minority here in the U.S. have their own month, like Black History Month and other months. I don't know, I'm not from here. <laughs> and, I, and he was like, what? I was like, what about ours? And he's like, you guys do have a month. And when he told me what month was that, I had to convince him for two hours that No Shave November was not an Arab month. So I was standing uh, with a friend in the park blocks and we were speaking in Arabic. And this guy who's a preacher comes to us and he's like, hey, you two, are you from the Middle East? I was like, no, I'm from Libya, which is in North Africa, completely different. And he's like, ah, sounds Middle Eastern to me, which is not how geography works. Shouldn't sound to you. I was like, okay, no problem, the Middle East. What do you need? He's like, here's the thing, buddy. I think everything that came to the US from the Middle East should just go back to the Middle East. I was like, everything? And he's like, yes, everything that came to the US from the Middle East should just go back to the Middle East. I was like, okay, no problem. So we're going back. We're taking the Middle Eastern food carts. We're taking the hummus and uh, Jesus Christ, yeah? yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, but he's one of us. And the guy was like, no, Jesus was white. I was like, no, no. 
If Jesus was white, his privilege would have saved him. Spoiler alert, I don't know if you read the book, he doesn't make it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. My name is Mohamed Al-Sheikh, thank you very much. That's my time, everyone. Mohanad El Sheki, right here on Livewire Radio. This week's show is brought to you in part by Amtrak, offering service from downtown to downtown. Think of two downtowns and then jump on a train. It's that simple. <laughs> Seattle to Los Angeles, that's one. For more trips, visit Amtrak.com and see where the train can take you. For the past two decades, our next guest has been exporting the local flavor of Portland to a place that can really use it. Washington, D.C. Congress, to be specific. Earl Blumenauer is a Democrat from Oregon's 3rd District. During his career, he's worked on transportation issues, foreign affairs, and even the Select Committee on Global Warming, which we understand is being renamed the Select Committee on Nature Losing Out, Big League. Please welcome Earl Blumenauer to Livewire. Welcome to Livewire. Thank you very much. Were you as surprised by the recent election results as a lot of us were? I think everybody was surprised by the election results. It's interesting, uh, in the House gym this week, as people are coming back, my Republican friends were shocked, kind of wondering where they go from here, talking about their party being hijacked, um, and um, watching, as we all are, the country having a civics lesson. That none of us signed up for. Well, that's not true. Some of us, although... Fewer people then didn't sign up for it. Yeah, that's uh, really kind of sobering right now in terms of I, I feel a little uncomfortable people trying to blame the Republicans for Donald Trump. Donald Trump was largely elected because of Democrats who didn't vote. As, as somebody who got in this business as a college student working on a campaign to lower the voting age so young people could vote, the notion that we've got people protesting the election who didn't vote. The irony here, I hope, is not lost. You know, uh, Congressman, I think what many of us really value about our system of government is this idea of checks and balances. And right now, it feels like there are not going to be checks and balances because you have one party that's going to run the White House and Congress. What leverage do you have as a Democrat from Oregon, when you go back to D.C. to get things done or stop things that are terrible? Well, there are several things going on here. First of all, uh, I think the ultimate check is our democracy. I think our democracy is stronger than one election. And, and, there, are, and there are people uh, who are resolving uh, that 
they're going to take action. They're going to be involved locally. They're going to be involved in the next round of elections. They're going to be dealing with organizations that deal with people in pain or people who uh, are going to support those who may feel threatened. Um, second, uh, I think slowly but surely there are things that we're winning. You, you mentioned the Special Committee on Climate Change. You know, it's fascinating that things are happening now that are embedded and aren't going to be reversed. Oil companies are now pricing carbon in their plans for the future. We have renewable energy taking place in very red states as well as blue states. Um, we're having an opportunity uh, to be able to embed these things that matter in everyday life. And finally, it's, it seems to me that it is uh, essential that we're going to make it clear that each time people are going to be assaulting core principles, core values, things that we think are wrong, uh, they're going to hear about it. Uh, we are going to be organizing. We're not going to make it easy for them. Do you feel sort of like the Rebel Alliance from Star Wars? <laughs> like, are you training on how to shoot a womp rat? Like, I mean, because you, you guys are going up against overwhelming odds in that you don't have the votes back there. Well, there's a, there's a dynamic at work that's taking place across the country that got obscured a little bit uh, by some of the, the shock at the presidential election. Uh, I worked in nine states this last year uh, that in November, eight of the nine legalized marijuana. We, we're watching victories take place. We had uh, the protection of exotic species in Oregon, but there was a huge animal welfare vote in Massachusetts. In, in Oklahoma, there was a sinisterly named Freedom to Farm Bill that would have gutted consumer protections and animal welfare protections and the Humane Society beat the Farm Bureau 60-40 in a state that Donald, that Donald Trump got 72%. There, there are issues at work that we can talk to people about in terms that they understand and reflect their values that don't necessarily have to be partisan, but people care about them. And we have an opportunity to be able to push back in a number of activities like that that are going to make a difference. I know a lot of people, Congressman, uh, who were supporters and I guess continue to be essentially supporters of Hillary Clinton, who are really grappling with how to reconnect with people in their own families and who they are close to who voted for Donald Trump. Because for a lot of people, it feels like an assault on our way of life. You're a congressperson. You have to not only you know, reconnect with, with your colleagues who are Republicans, you have to figure out how to work with them. Do you have advice for like a regular person who is going to a family event and is trying to find something in their heart that helps them connect with a family member or person they love who voted the way that they don't like? You know, I think one of the things that I try and do in Congress when I'm working with people that I may not necessarily agree with is to listen to them. And I truly believe that the majority of people who voted for Donald Trump are not racist. I think there are a lot of people in the upper Midwest, small towns, uh, who feel that they weren't being listened to. And I, I do think that that's an issue. One of the reasons I enjoy traveling around Oregon talking to people in, in small towns and other areas, is we're not 
doing a good enough job connecting with one another. Um, and I would suggest anybody who's encountering somebody uh, who voted a way that they didn't like, it ought to start with listening. It ought to start not with arguing or debating. It ought to start with listening and being able to look for those areas of common ground that we care about. Rebuilding and renewing this country, taking care of our children, actually protecting the environment. We won't we actually won't maybe call it global warming, but we can deal with the earth cooking and floods and fire. I'm curious, at some point, you will probably be in the same room with President Trump, whether it's, I don't know if it has to do with maybe the State of the Union or some other official thing. If he comes over to Congress to try to uh, impact a vote, you may, it is not out of the realm of possibility that you will be somewhere where this guy is. What would you do if he came up to shake your hand? What would you talk about? First of all, I'm trying to get my head around the notion that I'm actually going to spend time with him. I mean, I'm, I was deeply offended as somebody who believes in public service and politics. Um, putting aside partisan differences, I was offended by the tone, the nature of the campaign, dumbing it down, <laughs> attacking people. Even though I respect the office of president, can I in good conscience, go to that inauguration? I'm struggling with this. Um, I really am. Um, what do you think you're going to do? I don't know. I mean, I, truly, I've, I've, uh, it's really. The crowd says don't go, but they've also had a lot to drink. <laughs> well, you know, this, is, I mean, this is the nature of, of what has been exposed by the activities this last year. But at the, at the end of the day, you've got to put the interests of the people you represent first, respecting the principles uh, and uh, our values, and you're touching on something that is really, uh, I'm, I'm sorting out. You know, I used to cover Congress, uh, and I've interviewed a lot of lawmakers, and I don't know if I've talked to one who I can see on their face, close up, is as tortured by a decision, as you appear to be, about how you're going to relate to this administration going forward. Well, part of it is easy in terms of what people expect me to stand up for. And if there's going to be assaults on the environment, if there's going to be more uh, insults to the public, if there's going to be people who are put in positions of responsibility that are clearly not only unfit, but are an insult uh, to the people I represent, those, those, are, those are easier decisions, right. but when you get down to some of, the, some of the cases in terms of what we have to do and how we have to do it, those will be judgment calls. We have Congressman Earl Blumenauer here with us on Livewire Radio. We have to take a very short break, and then we will have much more. Stay with us. Hey, it's Luke with this reminder that Livewire is brought to you by you, our members. And if you're not one of our members, you need to get that together immediately. Because over at livewireradio.org, we have all kinds of information about how you can help support the show financially and become a member of the League of Extraordinary Listeners. These are fine people who kick us a little bit of money every month to help keep this show going. For as little as $5 a month, we will send you a thank you gift that will just absolutely knock your socks off. That's right. 
You give us the money, we make the radio show, and then we send you a thank you gift. All kinds of cool stuff that you can find out about over at LiveWireRadio.org. And thank you. Welcome back to LiveWire Radio from PRI. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. Our theme this week is local flavor, and we have a, a local congressman here, Earl Blumenauer, representing the 3rd District of Oregon. Um, I was, uh, as you were talking before the break, uh, you mentioned the fact that uh, Hillary Clinton got the most votes to be president, but if I understand this right, she's not going to be president. <laughs> What do you make of the Electoral College as a system? Is there any use for it in the modern era? You know, I think uh, a of, if we were starting over again, there are a variety of things that we would do differently. We would clarify exactly what the Second Amendment means in terms of <laughs> right to bear arms. Um, uh, it was a necessary compromise at the time because the country was deeply divided. It was, uh, the Electoral College was a, a compromise between the big states and the small states, uh, not unlike declaring African-Americans three-fifths of a person. We got rid of that, sort of. Um, but it's, uh, it's one of those things that's not going to change unless there's a constitutional amendment. It would require uh, the states that enjoy a voice that's 10, 12 times greater per voter than California, for instance, to agree to give up the power. Uh, I would rather spend time and energy, I will tell you, to try, first of all, to protect the right of every citizen to vote. I would like to see, you, you talk about local flavor, I'd like to see an Oregon innovation the vote by mail, where no, nobody here uh, has to, you know, uh, be concerned about machines breaking down, hanging chad, right. uh, or long lines at the voting booth. And the illusory notion of voter fraud doesn't happen here because we check every single signature. I mean, these are things that we ought to be able to do. And if we did, uh, I think the results would look a little different. And most important, we would have confidence that the people's voice was heard. I think this crowd, this crowd is in favor of vote by mail. I don't think they want to leave their homes. This is the first time they've been out in months. <laughs> and it would be convenient to vote from home. All right, so we've talked about uh, a lot of what, what many people in this country see as the negative implications of, of Donald Trump being elected. Of course, roughly 50% of the country thought that this was a good idea, and, and I don't want to necessarily leave their point of view out. Uh, but I, so I guess I'll ask you this. What gives you hope about the next four years? Well, first of all, just the reactions that I'm having, uh, being home, interacting with people, watching how folks are responding. They want to do something. They are signing up for organizations. They are resolute in terms of what they believe in. Um, they, they're, some of these, these soul-searching questions are going on. Uh, I think that is really exciting. There are things, as I mentioned at the ballot box, that we're encouraging around the country. We're probably going to have to do a little more locally uh, and at the state level to take care of ourselves. And I do feel like Democratic turnout is not going to be a huge issue in four years. <laughs> that one may kind of take care of itself. Yes and no. 
because we've seen things like this in the past. I mean, Al Gore got the most votes, but that wasn't sufficient, you know, to keep us amped up, motivated, and following through. Mm -hmm. We had very low turnout in this election, and there's enough for it to, it should have motivated anybody, no matter what side you were on. Uh, democracy, as they say, is not a spectator sport. We can't do this every four years. Uh, it's something that we need to be doing day in, day out, uh, and working with the institutions that support people, particularly those who feel vulnerable right now. We've got things we can do now that we've got to engage in and not just wait for two years or four years. This is something that we can do, I think, most effectively right now to make a difference. Earl Blumenauer is the Democratic Congressman from the 3rd District of Oregon. Congressman, thank you so much. All right. Please welcome back to Livewire, my Bubba. Stay with you for 
That's my Bubba right here on Livewire. Their new album, Big Bad Good, is available now, and you can find out more about them over at ohmybubba.com. That's going to do it for our show this week. We've got to say thanks to everybody who helped make it possible. Thanks to our guests, Congressman Earl Blumenauer, Chef Naomi Pomeroy, Mohanad Elsheki, Darcel, and, of course, my Bubba. Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, Alaska Airlines, New Belgium, Ergo Depot, and Amtrak. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Laura Haddon is our producer and editor. Jason Rouse is our announcer and wrote for this week's show, along with Carrie Burbank. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom, A. Walker Spring, and Ethan Fox Tucker. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Thanks to Revival Drum Shop and Carlson Audio, and also thanks to D. Neil Blake for recording our show. Our development director is Kim Bergstrom. Our operations manager is Lauren Masterson. Laura Harden is our marketing manager. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire is made possible by the generous support of our members. Special thanks this week to members Heather and Josh Winicki. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast or become a member of Livewire, head over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. You're gonna make me lonesome when you go. PRI Public Radio International. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.